0: What is going on? Welcome to The Land Podcast. This week, we have a great episode with Adam Silvis, who is from Pennsylvania, and he details his first transaction. Uh, He bought a parcel last year, and he went through a lot of steps And processes in order to scoop this farm up and you get to hear how he did it and also what the biggest regret he has in terms of the purchasing process so if you are in the market and you're kind of getting your ducks in a row in order to buy a farm this is a great one for you and if you already have some farms well I guarantee you'll still learn something in this episode in case you are brand new to this podcast my name is jake hofer and the goal of this project is to help 100 people buy their first farm and there's a couple ways to be on that list of 100 the first one being if you are in the state of illinois or wanting to buy in the state of illinois in my area i'm happy to help you and represent you as a buyer's agent number two if you are looking somewhere else and you want representation from a buyer's agent that i would personally do business with reach out, and I'll be happy to get you connected with someone that I know. If I don't know anyone in your area, then I, will, I won't i will tell you anyone. I'll just say, uh, I can't help you on that one. But regardless, if I'm sending to someone, it's someone I would do business with. Number three, if you just simply learned something from this podcast that helped you take action in a methodical and analytical way, or you walked into your first transaction knowing more than what you would have otherwise, let me know. That is the goal of this podcast, We've had the chance to help a lot of people, and gosh, it has been so rewarding. So that is it on the front end of this. Let's go ahead and get right into this episode with Adam. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you guys have a great week and a great season because it is now officially October. All right, Adam, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited for this conversation, Um, and we were just talking here a little bit ago. You just got back from where? Montana
1: on an elk hunt. How'd How'd it go? It went well. I, <laughs> I got a bull, <laughs> bull on, on the first day. I've actually got his, his rack sitting right here. Um, Holy cow! I haven't taken him to the taxidermist yet, but, uh, oh. yeah, yeah. Good, good, good hunt to, to say the least.
0: So uh, was that your first elk hunt or have you been out to out West before?
1: I I've been, I've been out. I, I, one of my first elk hunt with, uh, a buddy in 2017 and I've got a bad. <laughs> so, man. so I've, 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 hunted Colorado and, and Wyoming and, and Montana. And I mean, to be honest, I've, I've only gotten raghorns up to this mm-hmm. point. So yeah, I, I've yeah. always set up, I'll, I'll shoot raghorns until I die. <laughs> but, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Holy cow, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And you, uh, a giant bull is, uh, for anyone that didn't see the video, uh, to see what it is but um adam before we get rolling into this too far take a chance to introduce yourself who you are and uh really excited for this
1: yeah absolutely you know first off you know thanks for having me i've been listening to the podcast i'd say probably since you started which i think was last summer sometime um i live in pennsylvania western pennsylvania went to school in massachusetts um ended up moving back um to the area where i grew up um my wife also is from massachusetts so she she lives now now in pennsylvania um i work in the technology uh, space so i've been a technology consultant to the pharmaceutical industry for most of my career um and i now work for for a big big healthcare company that that primarily helps um, small pharma companies launch their first product in the us so a little bit of, wow, a little that's... bit about about what i do so it's I'm very sure. specific.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, that seems to be a pretty good industry to be in. Uh, I know a handful of folks that are in that space, and it's uh, can and that sounds like a really rewarding position too to help kind of these uh, new companies have it their is. first first product to market. Um, so, yeah. when you say technology, what exactly does that look like? Are you what What's your skill set?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I I led the life sciences practice at a software company um, prior to this role. Um, really just enterprise software to support pharma. And then now it, the pharma, I mean, I know this is a land podcast, but the pharma industry is very, very nuanced. And if, if folks don't know about it, it's probably the only industry where when you're launching a drug or product, you can buy the sales data of your competitors wow. and understand where they're selling and, and everything. So there's, there's a couple of uh, Big players in, in the the data space, um, in, the, in the farm industry, and to manage all that data and, and um, all the tech um, around it is uh, it's pretty confusing for first timers. So I, I I help companies navigate that that process.
0: Yeah, that is really unique. I would love uh, from the trail camera space to look at uh, you know <laughs> look at the books of all our competitors and, and see if maybe <laughs> yeah. we can optimize our business a little bit better.
1: That's yeah, really absolutely.
0: Cool. And it looks like there in the background. It looks like you are a very serious uh, hunter in general, especially whitetails. You got a, a really impressive uh, setup behind you.
1: Oh, thank you. Not not that impressive because I live in Pennsylvania. But, uh, I
0: don't. I tell you. <laughs> I tell you what. Um, Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm sure you know who Steve Shirk is. We've we've interviewed him a couple of times, and yep. uh, he gets on some giant deer. And I'm here in Illinois, and I'm sometimes like, man, he's finding better deer. More like maybe not the the really high end whitetail that can be in the Midwest, but that Really nice caliber. It seems like there's a, they're out there if you go find them, and that might be a little bit naive naive of me, but that's what I think. What do you think?
1: Yeah, they're they're there if you find them. Pennsylvania. You know, you hear people beat up on Michigan with the the number of the hunters and the population. Pennsylvania's right there. I think we're you know either first or second compared to Michigan, and not every area in Pennsylvania is the same. So I do hunt a bit of that that you know call it North Woods in Pennsylvania, some of the bigger area. Uh, quality of deer—they're—I'm uh, sure as, as Steve's probably told you for, from up in that area—they're hard to get on, right? It's—it's—you it's can
0: it's find an ocean of, them. <laughs> yeah, it's,
1: it's an ocean of timber. um Where I live is is a mix of, of timber and, and ag, and the the hunter populations are really insane. So I would call my area more of an opportunity area. Um, from a you know, if we're talking quality of bucks, it's pr- it's the upper end to get a four-year-old. Uh, maybe a five year old slips through once in a great while, um so yeah, it's it but it, i mean the 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 numbers are there, the opportunity is there. it's a lot of fun, uh, but it's not it's not Illinois or Iowa by any means, yeah, <laughs> for sure,
0: I'll be the first to say it, yeah, absolutely, uh, something that can be easily taken for granted, uh, depending on where you're at the country and and what your upbringing is. but talk a little bit about your upbringing and. Um, I assume hunting is kind of a, seems like it's part of your DNA. If I had to guess.
1: It is very much. Um, so I, I, you know, I grew up in the area that I live now, actually very close. So I, I purposely, so uh, I moved back here to Pennsylvania in I think 2013 or 2014. So I live about a mile from where I grew up a mile from, um, you know, our, our family farm and some of that area. And I, it was it was purposeful. I mean, this is home for me. I've looked at a lot of other areas. I've considered a lot of other areas, um, but just something about this area. I like the seasons, and you know, it's it's just hard. You know, when you when you grow up in an area, it's just hard to to, to break away from what what you know. Um, but my my grandfather is someone that I spent a lot of time with um, as a kid, and he was actually a game warden in Pennsylvania, and then he was a he was a farm and game manager. Which I don't even know if they have that anymore. But back back at, at that time, he did a lot of the hunter cooperation projects and hunter access projects. So he would go around to, you know, farms and landowners and they would go do hinge cuts and habitat work and all this stuff as a trade-off for landowners just basically, you know, being open to open to hunting. So there'd be signs posted on these properties that they were, you know, open to the the farm game program. So that, w- that was what he did. And so I, I grew up around, you know, that habitat work and just the the idea of, of open hunting and, and I'm sure you know a bit about Pennsylvania, but we're now a um, a point restriction state. Back then we weren't, you know, when I was a kid, it was a big deal when my dad brought home, a, you know, a 4.4 a 4 corn or something and, you know, got it with the bow. And it, it was like this, this, this big deal. And so things have shifted in Pennsylvania significantly, you know, in my lifetime. But that that was my that was my upbringing. I, you know, as a little kid, I was part of, you know, our, our deer camps and just hunting through and through. It's, uh, it, it's pretty crazy <laughs> how much yeah. it was part of my life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So wh- I assume you, you had to learn a lot from your grandfather, obviously being, a a, a game warden in the area. So just knowing, uh, good ethics, I think is probably one thing like yes. you, you can't really, uh, you can't cut corners when your grandpa's the game warden, uh, and not that people do, but beyond that, to learn kind of firsthand of those habitat improvements before there was, 10,000 podcasts and 10,000 videos on it and, and products surrounding it. So what was it like learning that and implementing those projects, you know, kind of before the industry's time, if you will? Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know.
1: (laughs) I I didn't even know then that that wasn't just a a general thing. I, I feel like it's come and gone. I mean, there, you just, you mentioned it, the podcast, YouTube, everything it's, you know, everyone has invented hinge cutting. Everyone has invented, you know, you know, all these approaches, but, you know, state agencies were doing this stuff in the '60s and the '70s, maybe even earlier. Uh, so it's just what I I knew growing up, right? We, mm-hmm. you know, we we transplanted trees, we planted trees, we did, you know, hinge cutting. i mean, unfortunately back then. Uh, one of the big things was introducing things like multiflora rose and Russian
0: what autumn olive.
1: You oh know, the get <laughs> the, you know, the Pennsylvania Game Commission to get cover uh, to get cover. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that. I mean. It, just in terms of what the landscape looked like back then, uh, you know, most of Pennsylvania, you know, hard, hardwoods, oaks, timbered heavily. Right. I mean, a lot of properties were completely clear cut. So just as part of the, those cover projects, um, the game commission was planting a lot of this stuff highly, in, you know, now considered highly invasives and we're spraying all sorts of chemicals to kill it, but, um, you know, back then, but it, it was, it was really part of, um, and, a, and, a. You know, a bit of it. Ironically, uh, my grandfather actually got hurt doing a habitat project. Where the game commission had to retire early, which was a benefit to me. I mean, I remember the day he pulled. I was at my grandparents' house, pulled in the driveway in the bed of a pickup truck, in the bed of a you know game commission truck. Um, and his his entire leg was crushed. You know, they had a tree that, you know, went sideways and landed on him, and and that was wow. his forced retirement forced retirement um, at that point. But it was a benefit to me in that I was a little kid, and now I've got free, you know, free reign with my grandfather in the summers yeah. after school. I mean, all the time. I I spent a tremendous amount of time with him and just, you know, learning all that. Um, mm. But I, I took it for granted. To be totally honest, I didn't even know what, you know, what what was happening then in terms of the have. Happen- yeah. I I do now that that I'm actually doing it. But uh, yeah, so it was it was definitely cool upbringing.
0: Yeah, I I'm in a similar fashion. There grew up on a small deer farm. And I didn't know it was weird to have like a 116 pointer <laughs> in your backyard, just like walking around and uh, and seeing that as you as you grew up, and definitely like looking back, like wow, that's pretty cool. Now, yeah. looking at looking at some of those projects that your grandfather did, or maybe you helped with throughout the years, what do those farms look like now? Or is it kind of cool to see like wow, okay, we planted a bunch of trees and a, and a bunch of habitat, and this is what it looks like now? Or is it like? that the DNA and fingerprints gone now that uh, maybe it wasn't managed anymore.
1: Yeah, that's certainly interesting. A lot of it's gone. Um, you know, so, some of it remains. It you know, so my so my my grandfather had a twenty five acre, um, you know, call it a farm, a small farm, and it's my you know, it's my father's now. All that's been maintained. We're, we've been maintaining hinge cuts. You know, whether you like them or you don't like them, they you know, they have their place. And We've been main, maintaining hinge hinge cuts for decades. I mean, I, probably going back to the seventies. Um, and those are some of the best deer bedding, deer cover. If you sure. can imagine. Um, I'm still benefiting, and, and every year we're mowing switchgrass plantings that you know my grandfather and I seeded years ago. I mean, so it's just like a lot of that stuff has been maintained. When I look at you know neighboring landowners in some of the area, so much has changed, and a lot of it has just been the evolution in Pennsylvania uh, with uh, you know property access, you know how people look at at property. Um, so, so people don't, it, it's odd, but people don't do, do a lot of that habitat, that work anymore. I mean, they're more managing for, for timber, um, and that type of stuff. So it's, it's significantly changed and the game commission doesn't really, you know, do a lot of that work, uh, mm-hmm. at all.
0: Well, there's a lot of ground and and probably not a lot of resources to implement that, unfortunately. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think you bring up a really interesting point because this is something we probably all can relate no matter where we're at in the country and no matter how old we are, but the lack of access that inevitably happens or has happened across this country. So what was that like growing up? I assume you had kind of free range in the area or at least knew everybody and and you could I did. walk road to road, no problem. And I guarantee that's not the case now. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy and it's accelerated right in the last couple of years, as I'm, as I'm sure you know. Um, another, you know, interesting thing is my, my grandparents started it and then my, my parents took it over, but, uh, a meat shop. So, uh, my parents 35 plus years did deer processing. So wow. I've, I've, I've gotten to see the, the, you know, again, you, you mentioned the deer farm and I'm talking deer processing, <laughs> <laughs> like that was in my backyard, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, I've, I've seen the the trends and the changes just from a deer harvest standpoint as well you know i mentioned the the points restrictions in pennsylvania you know they say anything you make rare gives value to it and so i think that's driven a lot of the access uh when i was a kid sitting on my grandfather's porch i specifically remember him telling me someday you won't be able to walk off this property you know he hunted a lot out west he was you know big elk hunter and you know if you're familiar with Western states, I mean, it's a big deal, corner crossing, all that, like you do not walk on, on properties that are not public. And I didn't believe that I couldn't possibly imagine that, you know, I had a four wheeler when I was a kid, I you talk about free reign. I could go for miles. I mean, I knew everybody, I knew all the landowners, you know, a lot of them were were folks that he had enrolled. And and as a kid, I didn't understand that, you know, it was just like, it, everything was open, right. And it was a lot before the and I would say the the points restrictions um, took hold in Pennsylvania, which is has been a positive. Uh, but as soon as you, you know, you start to grow better deer and people start to focus on that, and pretty soon, hey, you know, I don't want 40 of my closest friends from the city <laughs> coming in on my property without asking. So um, that's, that's changed. And it, it started to change, you know, I, I would say maybe 15 years ago, you know, a lot more properties started to, to post, you know, I, I know in the Midwest, like, you know, we call it posting, but, even in Ohio, a lot of people don't post, but it's still in Pennsylvania, when people post their property, it's like every eight feet, there's a a yellow posted sign, (laughs) right? So like, you know, you know Uh when it, when it, when it's posted. So, Um, A lot of that a lot of that has changed. And another thing that's influenced this area, um, you know, positively and negatively is the resources in Western Pennsylvania. So we're a big natural gas area, Um, you know, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the natural gas wave, you know, really came through here, both shallow and deep gas. And so the gas companies and primarily one gas company has bought up a lot of property. Um, They buy the properties never even going on the market. And that was a benefit for a lot of people because they bought these properties and they were buying them for the resources, right? They they only cared about the gas. So they were wide open for hunting. Uh, oh, you know, anybody could hunt them. So it was it was a benefit, right? Uh but they now have, you know, I'll I'll get there, but they they've now uh started to lease out all their properties. So then all those properties are are closed off. So
0: yeah.
1: uh, it, it's really interesting that the evolution. Um And when I moved back here after college, it was still relatively the same in terms of access. I had access to a lot of the same, you know, farms and properties I did as a kid um, and and living here, you know, my teenage years. Uh, But like I said, in the last couple of years, it's really crazy uh, just the the speed at which, you know, everything's everything's locked up.
0: Yeah. And I think and I'd like your take on this, but I assume that doesn't change and probably continues to accelerate and compound, uh, especially with. I hate to say that you know white tails being monetized, but that's kind of one of the easiest ways to say it. And I think as long as the the country has a good herd of white tails, um, it's only going to accelerate. Would you agree or disagree?
1: I completely agree. I completely agree. And and I think I mean, what's the experience? You know, we don't in my area we don't have a lot of public land, but we have open or did have open private land. So what's the experience like when you go on there and there's twenty other random people that have no idea whose ground they're hunting on? You know, it's it's open, so they just access it. Well, it's not a good experience, right? Mm-hmm. So um you either get out of hunting or you find a way to make it better for yourself, and that's leasing or buying, right? Yeah. I mean, those are your two options.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, that's exactly right. And I think that is such a good point because there is certainly a crossroad that all hunters have that that it's either, okay, I'm not really having fun anymore and I don't have access to anything, or it's the other motivation of I don't have access to anything, I still really like hunting how can I buy something or how can I lease something? And it does kind of suck. But at the same point, um, there's a lot of benefits to to doing that. I mean, I like hunting shared permission properties growing up. There's always so much drama and just like just yeah. things that just take a lot of the enjoyment out and then versus owning some ground and and being able to do what you want. Like that is worth a lot to me. I mean, everyone talks about and we've talked about this on the podcast about all the returns and you know how you can make money. But there's something of just uh, peace and quiet and being able to do what you want.
1: Yeah, t- totally. I mean, we'll talk about, you know, maybe just the evolution of of what drove me into the yeah. buying property. But I-, I would say that I, I look at, at land as an investment, but also think of any other hobby. Right. If you like the walleye fish, you're probably buying an eighty thousand dollar walleye boat. You know, if you <laughs> like to ride ride a motorcycle, you're going out and buying a motorcycle. Like, what hobbies don't cost money? You know, so I don't care if, if land costs me some money. You know, it doesn't have to be the best return. It doesn't have to beat the beat the stock market. I mean, if if this is something you're passionate about and, and you love, I don't care if it costs me money. Right. <laughs> it, you know, that that's sort of the the way I, I I look at it. But the the leasing thing, and that's really where. You know i if, if we want to segue into that that's really where i ended up uh starting is is leasing um my wife when i met her had never met someone that hunted before so oh she boy. she was she was from <laughs> massachusetts uh and she had no idea the gravity of, <laughs> of what she was she didn't, know yet. So, she didn't know what she got into <laughs> no she didn't know what she got into um but uh you know, she she started to to get into hunting and, and started to go hunting with me, and so when we moved back uh, to Pennsylvania, we were hunting a lot of shared permission um, property, and that's mostly what was around here. And the experiences of that were not good, you know, in terms of what you would run into, even predating like OnX or, you know, some of these other land ownership uh, apps. You know, people had no idea where they were hunting. They just would drive until they didn't see posted signs and that's where they would go hunting. So the once I, I remember the the very day that, that I said, I'm changing my situation. I was, um, hunting with her. It was her very first time. And, you know, we, we climb up into a tree stand on a, a piece of property that I specifically had permission to hunt on. You know, I'd called the landowner. He was a friend of my grandparents. He said nope I, I haven't let anybody else on there it's all yours you know hunt away and so i got everything set up It was planning on taking her out for our you know our our pennsylvania uh gun season breaks daylight and there's you know a guy like 40 yards in front of my tree stand um so i get down and i go to talk to him and it just like immediately uh the guy got belligerent didn't know the landowner you know the, the whole deal um so i got my wife we left and
0: yeah from there i was like i'm not doing this anymore <laughs> that would do it i mean and that's uh, that's a really good point but and that's so was it that point when you decided you want to buy land or or was it growing up as you lost access to your like i have a the clear goal i want to own some ground in order to enjoy how i want
1: yeah it it was definitely just growing up but you know it's only a reality at a certain point you know you've got to get get into the, the financial uh, standing to do that but the you know, I saw the writing on the wall, but you know, when you're, when you're able to hunt, you have lots of hunting access. The pressure is not there, right? When you, when you've got all the hunting opportunities in the world, the pressure is not there as much to to buy a place. But it was at that point that I was like, I am, I've got to do something, Mm -hmm. you know? So
0: yeah, that, that'll do it. (laughs) So um, talk a little bit about, I think you were very uh, organized with how you were going to end up buying a piece of ground. So at that point, I guess, you know, some decisions that you made along the way that helped set you up in order to end up buying a piece of ground?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing I, I went, at, specifically that day, I went, I went to my father and I was like, we need to lease a piece of property, right? Everybody hates that. They hate the idea of someone leasing something up and blocking other people out. Uh, but I was like, we've got to lease a place. You know, I'm, I'm feeling it. Like, we're not going to have a place where we can even go out and hunt. And, And I said, if I can't hunt here, I won't live here. Right. I I moved back here for, for that reason. If and if this this isn't an option, I there's no reason for me to be here. So I went and talked to a couple of landowners. And at that point, nobody leased property in my area. Like that wasn't even a concept. What, what year was that roughly? 2014 or 2015. Okay. Um, and you know, I definitely more popular in other states, but in my area in Pennsylvania wasn't even a thought. Um, now it's mainstream. Every property is is leased up, but you know, back then I went and talked to the landowner, you know, he's an elder, elderly gentleman, told me no. Um, I went back and talked to him again, um, started to warm up to it, you know, just like persistence, I wore him down, you know, and and maybe talk to the virtues of, because I was learning as well, right, and um, I made it, attra- you know, attractive from a, a price standpoint, just with the fact that my father and I you know we're we're able to to split split that cost but that's really what got it in and then you know the leasing the leasing thing is good but it comes with all of its negatives you know and and yeah yeah i'm sure I i'm mean, sure you're aware
0: <laughs> yeah i mean uh, uh i lease a farm and it's in a really good neighborhood and it's so frustrating to know if gosh if i could just do a handful of things this place would be so oh, yeah. much better but you're just kind of you're kind of hunting for luck is kind of what it feels like where yeah. um even the house so this was tomorrow's actually the one year uh, of actually living where i live now and just even looking oh, cool. at what i was able to do in one year from the year i bought it and going into the fall to what it looks like now is drastically different and i i would assume that the success will be uh you know better as well so to your point yeah it's great it's awesome it's a great st- starting point but to the same point there there's nothing like owning your own piece of ground
1: yeah there there really isn't and the, there's a lot of unpredictability in in leasing um, which I, I think leasing is a great start, right? It gives you, it, it gets you in the, in the game. It gets you into the, maybe a bit of the habitat management. If you can do some of those, some of those, uh, projects and also just being able to, to hunt a property and hunt it right without needing to worry about all the other issues of, you know, people blowing out deer and everything else, be actually be able to, you know, target a buck, for example, and be able to put a, put a plan together. So you do get a taste of it, but it just leaves you wanting more, you know, I, I, I have, you know, I still maintain maintain that, you know, lease in, in Pennsylvania here, but I've been through leases in Ohio as well with lots of horror stories, you know, in, in the leasing game. So, um, which I, you know, I can I can talk about those. But,
0: <laughs> but uh, tell me one of your favorite uh, horror stories so people are at least aware of. Ohio is an interesting state. Uh, yeah, that's where the Exodus headquarters is, obviously, and uh, I get all the secondhand information from the guys at the office. But go ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the very first lease that a buddy and I did in Ohio through, they weren't through a big mainstream brokerage company, but, you know, most of the leasing goes through brokerages in in Ohio. Um, Found the lease, Southern Ohio, very rural, like dirt floor in some of these houses area. (laughs) You might be familiar with some of those areas. Um, Hunted the lease for uh, the fall, and we, you know. Bait state in Ohio, so we could run feeders out there. I went out for a hunt in January and I'm like coming up the road to our lease. It was like this back dirt road and it kind of went up this little hill. And I'm like coming up the hill and I'm looking at it and I'm like, this looks so different. And as I'm like cresting the hill, I realized that our entire lease was completely clear cut. Like in a matter of a month since the last time we had been out there. And it was just like this tangled mess of trees. Everywhere. <laughs> oh my um, God! So I, I called up the broker, and he had no idea. I called up the the, the you know the broker who I leased through, and he's like, I had no idea I was getting timbered. Our stuff was destroyed. It was it was a mess. And then, as a consolation, this company was no longer in business. Uh, he's like, Look, I'll find you a better lease. I'll find you another lease. Da, da, da. So we were out of the game for like a year, and then he got us into a lease in another county in Ohio, and we had it for like six months. Paid her money, signed the contract. Um, I was actually in Montana at the time, and my buddy is at at the lease in Ohio, hanging stands prior to season, and some side-by-side pulls up to him and says, like, who are you? And, you know, he says, he's like, you know, we leased the property, who are you? He has, like, my uncle owns this property, he does not lease this property.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So, I, and my buddy calls me from the property, and I was like, dude, no way. So, I called up the broker. And you know he had no idea what I was talking about. Turns out the landowner never signed the actual lease agreement, never actually leased the property. Here we are for six months thinking we have this check, lease. We, uh, we actually didn't. You know, I think oh, like, no. the brokerage company did, but like mm-hmm. real mess. We yeah. we did get our money back. That's good. <laughs> but, yeah, oh there's my some more stories. But icing on the cake, I have another lease in Ohio now that. Is much better, great relationship with the landowner, so <laughs> it's not all bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, that's sometimes the the runaround that you get when you when you lease properties. And I think uh, to your point, the level of due diligence that goes into a lease a lot of times, like, oh, this is available for lease. Okay, perfect. That sounds great. It Looks decent on the map. Versus the due diligence when you go buy a parcel. I mean, uh, I think sometimes the the negative uh, experiences with the leases maybe just with less due diligence because there's less long term risk yeah. too. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, throughout this process, you're kind of like, all right, well, I, I really need to to get something. And did, did you end up buying the farm with the the elderly gentleman that that took some time in order to uh, get it lined up? No, um,
1: <laughs> I ha- haven't yet. I, I still actually leased, leased that property. I mean, someday I certainly would like to. Um, but I, a few things have changed in the last couple of years. I had a family, my grandparents had a farm. Um, they're both, you know, they both passed away. That farm has been split up and not split up to me, right? Mm -hmm. So I lost access to, you know, even my grandparents, family farm for hunting that I hunted since I was 12, right, you know, Mm -hmm. my entire, my entire life. So, you know, that that started to build in the last couple of years, and and just like the pressure of buying, but what my wife and I did, you know, back when we started to lease is just from a financial standpoint, you know, we, we really tried to set ourselves up to be in the, you know, the the buying um, position, you know, buying a big piece of property, obviously a big financial commitment. You've got to have the down payment, especially for, for a bigger, bigger property. And so I think after we got married, we, you know, we both had student loans. I had less because I had you know prioritized, you know, just cranking on my, my student loans. You know, so after I got out of college, I bought a, a really inexpensive house in this area and total, you know, I don't want to call it a dump, but it was pretty bad. Um, I paid $65,000 for the house. Uh, I had to totally revamp it. Um, and I had a good job at the time. I was just a traveling consultant, had a good job, but I wanted to buy right and be able to, you know, prioritize, you know, debt and those types of things. And I think, I, you know, in the email that I, I had mentioned to you, I, I've heard on the podcast, people talk about Dave Ramsey. That mm-hmm. was my graduation gift from my father. You oh, know, cool. it was a D- Dave Ramsey, like book set, total money makeover, the whole deal. So, you know, I, I had that mindset and my wife was totally on board. And then once we got married and uh, started to prioritize debt, we also started prioritizing just like monthly savings, consistent monthly savings. We set up a a totally separate non-retirement account and every month just contributed to that, never touched it uh, just to get in that position. And I knew that, you know, in the area I live, there's a lot of generational farms, generational properties, at any point, something could come up for sale and I gotta get ready. You know, I gotta be ready when the day comes. So um, that's really where we started. And then just time kept going on and on and on, and nothing became available. So I would say we were probably ready to buy five, six years ago. Um, wow and,
0: <laughs> and yeah, it just nothing nothing time. in
1: our area has been been available. so well
0: uh, i th- I think you bring up two really good points. the one of them, Dave Ramsey kind of gets a bad rap uh, same 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 scenario in terms of uh, I graduated college, did the same exact thing, tackled all my student loans, and uh, it set me up for more opportunities down the road. And I think uh, there's two sides of that. You can't like do just a little, like you have to knuckle down and get it done and then move on with your life. Yeah. Um. But I think it instills a lot of really good uh things to keep in mind down the road. So that, that's one thing, because I know sometimes people rag on them, but there's a lot of successful people that I've ran into that yeah. have same exact path. Um. So that's, that's one thing. The other interesting thing too, is uh, we've talked about before, but there's some pockets of the country where stuff doesn't sell very often. And there's some other pockets no. that... So and this is something that I see often is like, once it breaks off that generational farm, like, oh, let's say it's been the same family for 100 years. And then usually it gets bought. And then that's the second time it might, you might not be able to buy the whole thing because it gets split up. But a lot of times it's like, okay, that broke the seal. Now it's going to change hands a lot more often. And that happens faster in different parts of the country.
1: Yeah, For sure. I I, I do agree with that completely. But I think the big in, influential factor in my area is, like I said, our natural resources. Mm-hmm. The gas has prevented people from selling their properties, right? They just are waiting for the mailbox money. Sure. They know any day someone's going to come with, you know, big gas lease or something like that. So they just don't want to sell. And I, I mean, that's the biggest competitor in terms of trying to buy land, you know, in, in Western Pennsylvania, I think is gas companies. Interesting. Um, off market, I know of properties where, you know, one landowner might have had 25 properties. And just in the blink, they've all changed hands, the gas company bought them all, they never hit the market. You know, wow. so it's just like you. No one gets opportunities at those. So.
0: Yeah. So, do you uh, uh, long term? Do you think that those will end up being sold off? Or are those long term holds? For I don't know anything about natural gas in that area or, or anything. So, big question. Is it? Yeah. Is it a two two hundred year old two hundred year hold or is it like a hundred year hold or is it a five hundred year hold? I mean, obviously, no it, one can predict the future.
1: It, it's a really good question. I mean, you you look look at the world economies right now. I'm sure you see all the news about natural gas shortages and and everything else. I mean, there is a ton of natural gas in Western Pennsylvania, the biggest challenge is there's no way to get it out. Um, You know, the pipeline infrastructure and everything is not there. And I think it's maybe it's a price thing. Once the price gets to a certain point, there'll be a lot of investments there. So I, you know, that's one of the, you know, challenges is just getting all the all the gas out. But I wonder the same exact thing, you know, why would a why would a company buy all this property just carve out the the mineral rights and then resell the the surface, you know, the actual, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the property itself, but it, it's, it, they're probably the biggest landowner, at least in my County is, uh, a gas company.
0: Interesting. So you guys are saved up. You guys are rocking and rolling. You guys knuckle down, get rid <laughs> of all your debt, uh, build up a nest egg through saving money on a, on a monthly basis. And then you're ready to rock for like five or six years. So what, uh, what happens next?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a bit of me, uh, you know, I think there's a couple of different ways you want to, you can go. I mean, if you want to buy land, you obviously can just go try to find something, you know, in, in my, you know, my personal opinion, I wanted something very close to where I lived just to get the most use out of it. The, you know, the, the ability to, to get there often. Um, but if you want to just go buy something, I'm sure you could find a property. Me specifically, I probably was too specific about what I wanted to buy, like actual individual properties. And so I had just in my area, probably three or four um, that, that I had, you know, my eyes on and nothing came for sale until I think uh, 2020 COVID, it was during COVID, but a property came up for sale, like three miles from us, 80 acres, a house, a pole building, the house was not great. Uh, And it was just like the COVID rush. Uh, my wife and I went, put an offer on it. We were, I think we were like 20,000 over asking, no contingencies, place would have been pretty good for hunting and it was, that was me just like, all right, I'm done, I gotta get in. Like I gotta buy a piece of land. Uh, the realtor called me, I think at the end of that weekend and he's like, look, I hate to tell you, but you were nowhere close and it's sold for cash. Whoa. And I was just like, oh my word, <laughs> like this is never gonna happen. <laughs>
0: That would be demoralizing when you yeah. have waited that long and then you finally find something, okay, I'm ready to pull the trigger on. And then boom, you, you miss out with a super strong offer. It's not like you put a low ball offer in there too. And I think the uh, being overly picky, I think that's a common thing with uh, people that are buying their first farm too. And I think yeah. once once they end up pulling the trigger on something, they're like, man, I probably should have lost, <laughs> you know, the, the other three farms that were available back in the back in the day and they weren't perfect, but they were good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. And like, Prior to listening to your podcast and even other podcasts, the whole idea of buying up and rolling up in ten thirty one, I'd never even thought about that. Like, I wish I'd have started that ten years ago. But right. you know, just just knowing, like, I gotta, I want to find you know p- the perfect place, and that's the only place I want to buy. That property may never come up for sale. That may never be an available option. Um, so once that one fell through, knowing how close it was to our house, I was just like, man, <laughs> you know,
0: like, how did you we miss who, out on that? Do you know yeah. who ended up buying that? Was it someone? Local out of the city, I I, it was someone out of the city. Um, So just a little bit of context of where I
1: I am in Western Pennsylvania. I'm I'm an hour on the dot from Pittsburgh. So from from the city, when something does hit the MLS, it brings in a lot of you know realtors from the Pittsburgh area. Yeah, big buyers pool.
0: So Mm -hmm. So, okay, so someone outside the area bought that. A little demoralizing. You're like, oh my gosh, are we ever going to find something? So then what what's what's going on from there?
1: Yeah. So I I. Buckled down and just I started setting alerts on everything. And I have been probably for five, 10 years. I I don't even know, but you know, Whitetail properties, Zillow, Realtor, Landwatch, you name it. Like if it's coming across that, you know, I I want, I want to see it. And so as that was happening, like that. So that was actually 2021. I said 2020, but it was it was 2021, spring of 2021 when that happened. As that's happening, like through the summer, I'm seeing more and more properties getting leased up places that I've hunted my whole life, losing, losing permission. And I, it was actually October of last year. Um, and I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm sitting, you know, at a computer and I get an email alert and this pop, property pops up and I, I looked at the, the address and I was like, hi, I wonder where that's at. Cause it was just, it's, you know, rural land, there's no mailbox address. Zero zero so zero
0: address. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. exactly. And I, I get to look in and in the properties that I had identified, was a property like three years ago that was up for taxes. And, you know, I I had my eye on the place. I actually did some checking on it. They they took care of the 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 taxes on it, the back taxes. And I didn't really know the situation. Well that's the property that listed. So I got the email and I think within 30 seconds, you know, my wife, you know, with COVID work was working from home as well. Within 30 seconds I walked upstairs and I pulled, she knew the property because we'd already looked at it like when the the tax posting was up there. I said, this property just listed. I want to buy it. Said okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) and, and I had a bit of lessons learned, I think from, you know, the prior deal of missing out, I thought I got to get an offer in and just like move fast. Um, so I called the, it listed through whitetail properties, but interestingly enough, it wasn't like in the MLS, you know, I'm not a realtor. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how that ended up working, but, um, and I think I got a Whitetail Properties alert, but it never showed up on Zillow or anything. And so I called the um, the land agent for Whitetail Properties, and I said, "Hey, you know, this listing just hit. I want to put an offer in." He's like, "Well, you know, I, I could be there this weekend. We could look at it." I was like, "No, I live here. I know the property. I don't need to look at it. <laughs> like, I, I just want to just want to put an offer in." Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so uh, we we put an offer, and I think that day. Uh, full price offer, you know, just start there. And I told my wife, like in the back of my head, I was like, I would definitely go over asking price just in the proximity. So the property that listed is within a mile of my house wow. at, at, as the crow flies. Um, and in fact, I can walk out my back door to the property and never hit houses, woods, roads, anything. It's just, it's basically timber from my house to this property. So it was a 125 acre property. Um, I knew it as a kid. It's got a trout stream that, that flows through it. Oh, wow. That was not mentioned in the Whitetail property listing, mm-hmm. which I thought was a, a pretty funny omission. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, w- once it listed, I put, put an offer in. But what had happened was, you know, I never knew who owned the property or, or much details about it. But uh, it was, you know, call it absentee landowners. They were from the city. They were never there. And you know, the, I think the husband passed away like 20 years ago. And then the wife passed away, you know, like eight years ago, say. And so it was tied up in an estate. I think a rather large estate. And so it was estate managers that actually listed it with, with Whitetail properties. So mm-hmm. it wasn't this, you know, so you also have a, a bit of dynamic there where you're not dealing with, you know, the actual landowner. It's just, it was in an estate. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, a, a bit interesting, but we we put the offer in and I'm thinking, okay, you know, asking price. Let's do this. Let's sign the dotted line. I'm ready to go. Um, and I actually, I think, probably through your your podcast, I, I maybe started to learn a bit about like the ag credits and mm-hmm. things like that. So that same day, I knew financially we could do it. I think no problem, we can do this. But I think that same day, I called like our local ag credit mm-hmm. and got that process started. And so by like Monday, we were ready to rock. You yeah. know, with which is which is really good working with you know like local oops, local ag credits that. Um, excuse me, sir. you know, local ag credits that are in your area, know the area, know your market. Um, so, so that was helpful, but we put that offer in and I think a full week went by without a response. Wow. Uh, which I was getting, you know, maybe impatient, nervous. I, I don't know what, and, you know, I'm talking to the whitetail properties uh, agent and he's really getting somewhat of a runaround from the estate, um, the estate attorneys that were actually listing it and here i think a bit of the psychology was that they got a full price offer day one and they're thinking we need to wait and see what else comes in like maybe yeah. this was listed Did we underprice it? yeah <laughs> yeah yep. yeah did we did we underprice it so going back and forth and they were coming up with excuses and the entire time he's having people that that's looking at the property and, he, and he's showing the property and i'm thinking you know, someone's going to come in, I'm going to get into a bidding war, like I'm losing losing my opportunity here. So in the, you know, probably the course of this, even though this is what I really wanted, and I really wanted this place, I thought I can't, I got to fall in love with the deal and not the property here. So I called up the Whitetail uh, Properties Land Agent. I said, look, if they're worried about, I think from a liability perspective, they were maybe worried about selling it for, for 2 too, too uh, sure. cheap of a price. There are. Being
0: there I'm not an attorney and I'm, I will never pretend to be one, <laughs> but I want to say in sometimes in the States, they have to sell for a percentage of the appraisal. Um, so I think mm-hmm. maybe that would be something, but go ahead. Yeah, there was something going on there, but I called him and I said, look,
1: it's been out there a week. If they're not going to accept it, tell them to pull my, I'm pulling my offer and tell them I'm going to put another offer in tomorrow for 30,000 less. <laughs>
0: Cause at that, that
1: point, at that point, I, I sort of was getting the sense that they didn't actually have any other written offers. I said, so if they're worried about selling it for asking price, they should be worried for selling it thirty thousand less than asking price. I think he called me back like ten minutes later, and he said, "Well, you know, papers coming your way." So, Kudos uh, that, to was, you. that was the <laughs> that was the nudge that, that pushed it across the line.
0: Yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. Yeah, I think uh, use leverage when you have it, and sometimes when you don't have leverage, well, uh, that's just how it goes. But that's that situation yeah. you're able to to figure that out. But I could imagine after losing out on the other one. And then also, I mean, the market was in October was still really, <clears throat> still really hot. And, uh, that week probably felt like an eternity. I imagine like, this, Oh, my word. Refresh your <laughs> email nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's, it was 125 acres. What, specifically aside from the proximity of your house, what were some other things that in the trout stream obviously, what were some other things that you really liked about that place?
1: Yeah. So I mean the my area, I think the proximity to Pittsburgh. So I looked at the property as an investment. I don't know, I mean maybe I'll own this forever, but I also looked at it as, you know, if another property I, I want more than this one comes available, I want to be able to get out alive. Right. I mean, just maybe make some money but get out alive. So I looked at, you know, proximity in general my area, the proximity to the city, proximity to my house. But what I like about it, knowing the area, blank slate, you know, very raw. So nothing's been done with the property for years. Uh, there's a lot of timber on it. The topography is very interesting. Lots of oaks uh, and the the surrounding properties are all locked up as well. You know, they're all all locked up for hunting. Uh, a lot of timber projects. They're very thick. So I just looked at it, thought this has the the potential to, to produce good deer. And I was able to do just in the the leasing game and then also growing up with my grandfather, knowing what, when you put a little bit of effort in and some input, you can steal all the neighbors, deer. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, I, I looked at that and said, I, I definitely, you know, definitely can do that. And another thing that's unique about the property is um, it, it's the, the access is incredible. You know, so people talk about buying property. I mean, you could buy a you know, property with access on one side and go in there and blow out every single deer off that place every time you walk in there and that's very common right but um, there's a road that intersects uh, the property so it really splits into like three sections there's like a, a 50 acre section on the west like a, a 35 acre section on the east and then the southern portion where the actual creek bottom and um, the bottom goes is like 40 acres it's access from every possible side Mm-hmm. um and that that was a that was a big thing for me it's just knowing that once i did some some work there i could do it and then i think another thing uh possible building locations you know there's there's lots of those so i just you looked could, at, you could at all it that into
0: three if you if you wanted to split it up down the road you could you could put it into three. absolutely mm-hmm. yeah i'm in the process of doing that actually <laughs> <laughs> oh nice have it ready to rock yeah so you uh so talk a little bit about that so um what does that process look like to um basically get it into uh, three tax bins.
1: Yeah. So I'm um, I just started to talk to a survey which interestingly enough, um, when I bought the property, I knew it it didn't have a, a recent survey. You know, these are properties that have been, you know, in in the, the same folks' hands for decades and decades. So I'd actually asked the the land agent about that, like, hey, should I get a survey? And in hindsight, you know, I've listened to Pat Porter on your podcast. Like I would have got a survey. Yeah. Um, so so but by buying the property, things are a little bit vague. I start looking at the tax maps. Um, you know, actually one of the neighboring properties based on the tax maps started to build a camp on what I thought was my my property, right? So, um, you know, I, I looked at the tax maps. I left them a letter on their gate that goes up into like the neighboring piece. We have a very good relationship. Uh, so, you know, good to, good to meet those, those people, but they actually um, are getting their property surveyed. Oh, and so going going through this pr- process, um, I've determined that tax maps are not accurate. So, <laughs> big, big uh, lesson learned on on yeah. the, the tax maps test.
0: <laughs> that is tough. I mean, oftentimes a survey, and this is just my opinion, sometimes a survey doesn't make sense. Like if it is very defined, but when there's ambiguity or or because. Uh, there's some even some counties where I'm at in Illinois where some of them are notoriously wrong. Like they're like, oh gosh, yeah. you're, bu- you're buying in this county, like, ooh. And then there's other ones that are really accurate too. And then to your point, if nothing's been surveyed for years and years and years, there's probably going to be encroachments or maybe that fence line isn't as uh, exact or or known. So that's that's a really good point. <clears throat> um, yeah. So when you bu- any buyer's remorse? Do you love the place? Are you so happy you got it? I um no buyer's remorse, N- none whatsoever. I've done like. You-
1: you know having you know i would say areas that i don't access on the property and sanctuaries for the deer i want to get that as soon as possible but one of the you no know, i would say challenges with the property is the fact that it's all timber so i looked at that area and i think i sent you a screenshot yeah. of just the overall all, all property there's timber everywhere there's oaks and when i when i went under contract to actually set a few cameras i think it was like november last nice. year um so I got to see a bit I found some you know community scrapes and see a bit of what's going through there and there's a lot of oak on the property but you know having a a property that's all timber you want to put food in there so those were some of the some of the challenges and the first thing I wanted to do was was open it up um so I I like this winter just trying to get as many projects as done as possible in the first year I I brought a dozer in a backhoe nice um and on the 3 i'm i'm really managing the three sections separately even though they really fit together in, in the whole property when i when i get mine surveyed this winter i'm going to subdivide those three so if i ever do decide to sell them separately i also want them to all have three Define, uh,
0: like three strategies where they can three stand three strategies
1: deer. absolutely three strategies where if i were to sell that break that up the buyers would benefit and be able to to hunt the deer effectively so i've put openings on all three there were zero openings on this property wow. So, uh, which, which I'll get to it just in how properties are managed historically, but, you know, I, I did a, a three acre food plot on, you know, the southern piece. I, when I first walked this property, I walked up onto this oak ridge top and I'm thinking, man, this place would be perfect for a food plot. Totally crazy idea, right? Way up on top of this ridge, but I found these old, old logging roads after I bought it that, I, that were all overgrown. I'm talking 80, 90 years old. And so I went in there this winter and cut those open and did all this work and was able to actually get a dozer up on the top, wow. clear out like a one acre food plot on this just very secluded ridge top. Mm-hmm. Um, brought in forestry mulchers so I on all three properties, I now have food plots, um, which That's was awesome. my biggest biggest priority from the start and then another thing like. Uh, the property had been timbered at some point I didn't really know when or how. And I had a consulting forester walk the property with me, but very open, you know, close canopy challenges with cover. So I did some hinge cutting projects this winter. I brought in a crew of Amish. I live in an area with a lot of Amish, so that's a convenient thing. Um, and we, we did some very targeted um, hinge cuts and just put in pockets of bedding. And then walking with that forester you know he looked at it there's a lot of timber there you know he said maybe in the 10 year period i I should think about doing an actual uh harvest but he also couldn't really figure out what had gone on there um so i had a state forester which is another awesome resource available walk that property with me and in her follow-up she sent me um historical maps which i did not know existed and i wish i would have had these from the beginning um, but I'm like looking at these old 1939 aerial images, which are oddly detailed
0: They're And I can see that <laughs> they're super specific because I, I look at that yeah. dude. I honestly, I look at those maps every day. Uh, so when you sent yeah. that, I was like, oh, he knows. <laughs> he knows. the secret. Yeah, yeah. So go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I looked at that. She sent that. And I was like, oh, my word. This is what happened. So the place had been almost entirely clear cut in like the 1930s. And it's all even aged growth. But then another interesting part, which I wish I would have known before I, you know, went wild and started all these projects, is that a big portion of it was definitely a working farm. Like you can see in that, you know, that that aerial.
0: That south side was an actual farm ground.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of that I hinge cut and made into bedding. Now in hindsight, maybe I do more food plots in some of those areas. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also with the aerials, I was able to see where the historical uh, property lines are. So you can see like as people timber, you know, where they leave tree lines and, and things like that. So the the line that I, I'm talking about on the on the western edge of that property is off Very the different. tax property line. Off it's off by like a hundred yards when you look at on wow. X. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's made me a bit nervous how things will shake out. You know, I mm-hmm. think that's a, a word of caution for anybody buying property is go to, you know, I think ArcGIS, you know, there's there's probably different ones. Look at the aerials from the 30s and 40s, and it'll tell you so much about properties
0: yeah absolutely that um i found that out actually ironically when i bought my first farm and uh, there was some of that was in a hill prairie and so we were trying to figure out where that would possibly be and that was all closed canopy now as well and so they sent that over and you could just see a couple tiny little pockets that were hill prairie and then i started using that and i was like man you can definitely learn a lot of where have what farms may have old growth what farms will not have any old growth what farms are actually pasture what farms were farmed and now they're over. Like you just learned so much from that. Oh you know? yeah. So it's so fascinating. And it's really fun just to poke around and see what things looked like, back, you know, hundred years ago almost. It is. It really is. Yeah.
1: So that was it. That was a big a big thing that I I wish I'd have probably known about before,
0: because
1: <laughs> that that maybe would have influenced just some of the habitat projects that I've done. And I've done a lot of tree plantings and that type of thing. Opened up all those old roads, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know those roads were there when I bought the property because all overgrown. Everything and the access is insane now. I can access all of it. I won't just from a deer pressure standpoint, but all of the edges, everything. I just went th- through all the work this winter, um, chainsawing my way through it all and just opened it.
0: <laughs> so that's awesome. And what it's nice too, because now you have this reference of like, okay, there's definitely it looks like even a gravel road on some of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very, very defined, which is uh which is pretty cool. So what did they, what did they end up suggesting to end up doing a cut down the road or, or wait or what was their strategy?
1: Yeah. So, so from a, you know, an Oak standpoint, the one portion of the property, like the 35 acres, it's almost a pure stand of white Oak, uh, white Oak and chestnut Oak. And last year was insane. The amount of deer that were on it, but they're probably maybe 10 year 10 years from being, you know, perfect harvestable size. And I never really had the, the, the urge to do that just to extract value um, but having the the state consulting forester she looked at a lot of the stuff that was on there from just a lower quality standpoint and I think that's probably the approach I'll go is doing a, a select cut of the lower quality timber you know mm-hmm. money and money and value aside leaving the good and, and taking out some of the bad just to open up the canopy and, and release some of those trees so uh, I think that'll be what I go um, you know in, in the long run here.
0: Yeah, which is sometimes the exact opposite that happens on some of these cuts where they yeah. they take all the good stuff and they leave the crappy stuff, um, <clears throat> or you know the more inferior trees. But that's uh that's really super interesting. I suggest anyone to go find their area where you can go back and look at the historical imagery. I want to say it was it had to be a project because there's some from 1937, some from there. It's like they did some spots every two years that I've noticed here locally, and uh, it's it's really neat. Um, so yeah. as you were. I guess you've kind of you laid the foundation of a lot of really good decisions that you made. So, someone listening right now, they they need a piece of advice for buying their first piece of per, first piece of ground. What would you suggest to them? And if you have a couple of tips, you can give them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll start with on the. I'm not a financial advisor, so <laughs> <disclosure> disclaimer. <there>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> disclaimer. But uh, you know, I think starting with the consistent savings is key you know, there are no shortcuts, right? I'm sure if you played the, the crypto games or the the meme stocks, maybe you, you can get rich overnight, but there are no shortcuts in life. So if you don't come from wealth, you've got to build it, right? You've got to, you got to start small. And it's hard to think, wow, you know, I'm going to need to save up $100,000, for example, if i want to buy a big property uh, or maybe less. I mean, why even start? Because I'll never be able to get there. But just starting small and building on that. And I blend a bit of the Dave Ramsey model. I am not all about debt free entirely. If if we're up to Dave Ramsey, t- yeah, he would tell you not to have a two percent mortgage on your house. But yeah. I mean, it's practically free money, so I, I wouldn't do that. But
0: eight you know, start-
1: percent yeah, exactly. You know, so start starting off. I think and building the the foundations, I will tell anybody listening to the podcast: max out your Roth IRA every year, um, and and start as early as possible. So that is the number one thing. You know, my my wife and I prioritize our retirements and those types of things. I know some people say land is the retirement. There, there's a there's a balance there for me. Um I'm not putting all my all my in land, but starting off foundationally in that that steady savings. And really what our plan was, I think initially was to get the down payment, put the down payment on a property and then convert that monthly savings that we were doing into the actual payment every month. Right. So just w- would be able to to go off it and run with it. And it's gotten to the point, you know, as our our you know maybe our our incomes have increased over the years, you know, we, we haven't done that, right. So we were able to put the money down on the property, and we're, we're still now saving for the next one, right. Yeah. So um, I, I and you know, anytime you get an in, increase in your salary, or you make a little bit of money at work, don't spend it, put it, you know, take that increase and put it right into that savings. And just it'll come, it'll come faster than you think, right, in terms of, um, you know, just saving to get that down payment. Uh, and I, I you know, not, so finances aside, another one I think is just, you know, be being patient and knowing that, you know, the time will come, right? You got to have dry powder. And when the day arrives, you got to be ready to put that <laughs> offer in.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's such a good point. Because I think, obviously, some of those properties, a good property is likely not going to last very long, no matter no matter. And that's just my opinion. I haven't seen as many market cycles as some of the guests. But I think a, a really great property is probably, you know, a turnkey great property. It's going to sell fast in any market, obviously it might be for a little bit less than from peak to to a lower uh market, but regardless, the good stuff usually goes quick and uh unless you have the skills and abilities and finances to take a crappy property make a good um I mean that's just a whole other can of worms as well, but that's just my my two cents but that's a great point. be ready to rock when the time comes,
1: yep be ready to rock. There's nothing like having dry powder <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love that. I'll tell you. It's- it's, you know, the market's going to change. You know, I think you talk about that a lot on the, the podcast, the Fed wants the market to change, right? They're going to slow things Very down. Clear. Yep. But it, what I found on a couple other uh, potential transactions that that my wife and I have tried to do is there's a lot of cash buyers, right? They don't care about interest rates, they're cash buyers. I don't know where they got the cash, but they've got the cash. So um, they're they're probably going to be less affected. So I still think you have the the buyers that are going to come in and and buy up the the right places. So I think an, another piece of advice is building a relationship with, you know, bank or a lending, uh, you know, wh- wh- whatever route you go. I'm a big proponent of the ag credits. I'm not a farmer, but for the purposes of the ag credits, I'm now a farmer and I'm classified as a farmer. Um, I was looking at a property in Ohio a couple of weeks ago, and I called up, you know, my my loan officer at the ag credit, and she said, yeah. That's just we look at that as expanding your farm, so we have no problem lending on that. Like that's just having those relationships is key.
0: Is it's huge. It can be the difference of having a successful purchase or not. I mean, that's how simple and important it is. Um, I I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, as you get more into this wormhole, the better relationships you have, and the more effective you are. And instead of going through this uh seven-page application, you can send them a text. Say, hey, send them a link. Am I good? You're good. Okay. Well, that just takes care of everything. Takes care of all the yep. uh legwork and it's uh, just becoming more effective in the process because i think that's the other thing too is there's people that are making a full-time profession out of this and so it just like anything when you go up someone that does it professionally and you're an amateur and there's a reason oh why my professional sports and amateur sports like which one are you obviously you're probably an amateur but at least be on the on the high end of that if you can for sure and but i think buying off
1: market you know is is important if possible i've, I've i write letters i go to to people. And I sit down at their kitchen table every year, say, you know, if it ever leaves your family, let me know. You mm-hmm. know, I, I just keep in those relationships. If you're in an area that you want to buy, I think just because ha- people's lives change, situations change. You never know when you're going to get the phone call that, hey, you know, we're interested. Because if you're competing, you know, I know, I know you're in the the, the real estate <laughs> business. But if you're yes. competing even with, with some of these realtors that are also investors, you know, I know specific realtors that themselves bought. Dozens of properties, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the last couple of years. So you're not you're not only competing with other buyers, or maybe potentially competing with, you know, the the, the yeah, realtors sure. and the listing agents.
0: Some of those right. uh, first point of contact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I I've, I have swaying opinions on that, but that uh, <laughs> we all do. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, what is what is a myth that you found to be completely false when you went through this entire process of like, well, I, I thought it I thought it was this
1: um you know i would say that it's not as you know i mentioned a little bit just from the financial standpoint it's not as big of a hurdle it's not insurmountable you know if you don't if you've never owned land or you didn't come from maybe a family that's had a lot of land it's a little easier than you think to to get in the game If once you've got your down payment um and it, yeah it's just not as it's not as big of a deal as it seems you know and um, so that was probably the biggest myth is just thinking like this is some unattainable, unreachable uh, thing. And really, a credit to your podcast, I think when you get more people's stories and, and you hear about it. You know that you know it is it is something that's attainable for a common person.
0: Yeah, because I mean, locally, you know, there's there's not a lot of people you can buy, bounce these ideas off of or have uh, in depth conversations. Yep. So that's uh, one of the things I personally have enjoyed a lot uh, with all the guests, and I'm I'm sure you know it's helped. I know it's helped a lot of people because I get a lot of emails. So that's uh, that's yeah. that's always the the awesome thing about that. Um, do you regret not buying sooner at any point with how yeah. much land prices went up in six years? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> would you I've say got, that's go. one of the biggest regrets of like, ah, I should have just yeah. bought that and that one, you know,
1: it, it, it's, it's a very big regret. Um, but again, that's why I said like getting attached to specific properties is, is not,
0: I, if you're doing
1: it from an investment standpoint, don't get attached. I mean, look sure. for the value, look for ways that you can force, you know, force appreciation. I, I so much wish I would have done it 10 years ago and and probably been on property four, property five by now. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, what, what I was, I think most fearful of is being caught with my pants down, you know, into a couple properties and something really good comes up and, you know, I don't have the dry power powder to act on it. Like that's, that was always my biggest fear.
0: (laughs) Same, that same thing. Even when, when I bought my first farm, I was like, man, well, what if, you know, farm ABCD comes available, you know, (laughs) it might be. And it's, and then, uh, it's just like my dad's like, they're probably not going to, (laughs) like, I don't know what you're waiting for. (laughs) And it's like, well, that's good advice yeah. uh, you've seen many more decades than me so uh, let's get rocking. let's get
1: yeah I, I think they they may never become available they may never be available at a price you can afford and if they do it, good lord will work it out maybe and you'll yeah. figure a way you know you'll find a way to 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 make things happen and put it together and if, yeah I, that's that's honestly the way the way i feel about it you know if i'm you know meant to get into certain properties you know i'll, I'll find a way to make it work
0: yeah that's that's a really good point um Let's see. This is a, I think I know the answer to this one, but is that the last farm you ever own? I mean, you, you alluded that you're getting ready. You looked in Ohio. So what does it look like uh, in the future for you?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that in the future, I want to have a home farm in Pennsylvania. I mean, you can only shoot one buck. You know, I, I it's just the way it is, right? You know, I, I don't need 10 properties probably in Pennsylvania. I really want to own in Ohio, uh, not to attract everybody to the state of Ohio, only because of the proximity to where I live, I can get over there. It's a second state for me if you're if you're ate up with, hunt, yeah, it's a cheap tag. And even if it's not, I mean, if you're ate up with hunting, it's good to, to have a second, second place place to go. So um, I'd like to I'd like to buy, you know, in Ohio. And I, I mentioned the the surveying thing and maybe splitting the property up, that'll probably be one way that I, I get some some better return. You know, if I do end up selling that place at some point I want to have ready to hunt you know I invested in some some box blinds I've never hunted one out of my life but you know I've put those on the property um you know doing a lot of things that'll make it attractive putting gates on all the roads just all the little things that I can put in the sweat equity just like flipping a house I didn't buy this to flip it but you always want to have an exit plan um, but one of the interesting strategies and I don't know if I've ever ever heard it talked about on the podcast, and maybe it has been. But when I looked at that 80 acres, the house uh, last spring in 2021, I never planned to live in that house, really. What I thought I could do is fix that house up and rent it and nearly carry the note on the place. So my next, I I don't need it to be a big income producing property, but to be able to also get a mortgage rate on a piece of land. Or you know, buy it with the house
0: versus secondary home.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Buy, 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 buy the house, rent the house and hunt the land. Like that's probably, you know, a strategy I'd like to try out.
0: Yeah. I think that's really attractive and something that I that's interesting where you're at versus where I'm at in the country too. Uh, to your point to own timberland as an investment is a lot different than a good chunk with good dirt or CRP income annually uh, that you can still hunt and enjoy. Like that's the other really interesting thing too, of just yeah. for, to extract, income on your farms, you basically have to cut timber. I mean, yeah, for the most part And here, that's, it's a little bit different. So that's, uh, that's what's so fascinating, just how strategies can differ across the country.
1: For sure. Yeah. And boy, once you cut it, it's gone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. It's 100 years is a long time. We're gonna. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anything else here, I man? I really, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think there's a lot of really good advice that people can take home and uh, put their spin on it, or do some more research. But um, anything else that I should have asked that I didn't? No, I mean, I think
1: again, I appreciate the podcast. I think it's enormously helpful. Uh, one of the things that has been talked about here, and I think people should pay attention to, is just all of the resources that that are available out there that you don't really know about, right? Free foresters, you know, the different programs. Uh, you know, I mentioned the the aerials, the historic aerials, you can do a lot of your own homework, to maybe give you a bit of an edge uh, that, you know, you otherwise wouldn't have. So just looking for, you know, and leveraging all all those uh, free resources. I, I wish I'd have known about it before.
0: <laughs> but it, well, so. that you, it's, it's one of those things, too. It's like you're not going to learn those things unless you get started. Like you'll never you won't get down that rabbit hole until you start. So it's like, yeah, I wish I would have known. But at least, you know, now and you wouldn't have known if you didn't get started so it's just that's, that's just true kind of the nature of the beast got to play awesome. the game awesome well um i'll let you plug anything that you want to plug or if you want people to find you um you're more than welcome to do so and then uh just want to say thank you again for your time
1: yeah absolutely i'm not uh anybody that you probably care to follow on on instagram but i do have an instagram it's flyfish soul um I, i'm a big fly fisherman so you
0: got to too
1: yeah. yeah i got the trout stream right now so hence my instagram handle but uh i do a lot of habitat projects you know i po- post different pictures you know some of the stuff that i've done but uh yeah otherwise uh appreciate it
0: good Thanks luck on the me. good luck on the farms good luck this season send me a picture of a deer you shoot and uh until next time Take care. Do you guys have, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you found any value, be sure to share it with a friend that may enjoy it as well. And we just crossed a hundred reviews. Just want to say thank you to everyone that's taking the time to do that. If you haven't done so and you guys, have, and you enjoyed this podcast, it means mean a lot it helps us uh, reach more people. And that's the goal of this. So that is it for now. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. The Exodus podcast goes live tomorrow. Be sure to tune in for that. That is it. See ya.